going through the life of David. We looked at the episode of David and Bathsheba, and then Nathan's um, accusing David and David's repentance. It's not the rest of the story, though. What, what happened next? Give me just a minute to get set up here. Tonight we look at not just David or Bathsheba or even Nathan, but what about the baby? What about the baby that they had? I don't know if they gave him a name. So tonight we'll be using that as a stepping stone to do several case studies in biblical ethics, such as these questions. What can we do in a tragedy such as the death of a child? By the way, one of our conference speakers is going to be addressing that. It's a family conference on things like being a father, mother, and so forth. And I said, why don't you bring us a lesson on how a family can stick together in time of real tragedy, such as death or hurricane blows your house down. Secondly, the baby in the story died. Why do babies die? Maybe even we'll look at, do they go to heaven? Now the question is, in tragedies like this, how can God bring good out of a tragedy? You know what a definition of a tragedy is, such as the ancient Greek tragedies that uh, the writers would write. A tragedy is where all the leading characters die. Anybody ever read Hamlet? They all die except, what was his name, Fortunatus or something? Hmm? Okay, they, they die. Well, is, is life for a Christian a tragedy? No, but how can God bring good out of tragedy? Remember Job. Second Samuel twelve fifteen to 25. I'll read it and then we'll go through it and draw these lessons out. Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm to them or to himself. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then a servant said to him, What is this you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead... Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son. He called his name Solomon, Shlomo in Hebrew. 
the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. In other words, he had two names. And that's our reading for tonight. Baby was struck with a serious illness, and it's not specified. They had few doctors back then, no hospitals. And, and, and babies are very weak. They can pick up diseases. Some die right after birth. And the doctors are not quite sure. It maybe just wasn't strong enough to make it. There's sudden infant death syndrome. And other such things are still much mystery. So we don't know what it was. But notice it says the Lord struck the baby. God is behind all afflictions and tragedies, including whichever ones you get. It's not coincidence. It's not chance. It's God. It doesn't help to say to someone in such a situation, well, God had nothing to do with the death of your child or your daughter or something like that. No. If God um, had nothing to do with it, he can't do anything to help us or to comfort us. Now, why did this happen? It's very obvious. According to what Nathan said, look back at verse 14. Because what you have done, the child is born to you shall surely die. So it's chastening. Now, not all uh, bad afflictions are due to our sin, but some are. So when we go through sickness or tragedy, search your heart and go to the Lord. And if it's chastening, do like David and repent. Uh, how? Well, pray. Search your conscience. Search scripture. And if it's chastening, it's going to hurt. Not only your conscience, it's going to hurt you in some way. Chastening is another fancy word for spanking, smacking. And it hurts. It's meant to. Hebrews 12 says it's for our good. But please don't think God is getting even. God got even at the cross. There's a difference between chastening and punishment. Parents chasten their children. They're not supposed to punish in this sense like a judge sending a criminal to jail. God doesn't do like that with us. He chastens out of love, not punishes out of wrath. And it's to teach us not to do it again. And David never did do this again. He learned his lesson, so should we. But uh, what about the afflictions that are not because of our sin? They're not chastening. Well, there's a variety of reasons. They humble us, teach us to be tender and patient with others that are um, afflicted to prepare us for service, and many other reasons. Sometimes God doesn't even tell us. So David repented. Okay, class, where do we find David's prayer of repentance in the Bible? It's not here in Samuel. No? Psalm 51. Well done. Sally Antry, Bible scholar. And uh, I could have brought us a lesson on Psalm 51. Maybe I will. But he, uh, he repented. And that's what we need to do when affliction strikes us, especially when it's chastening. Just like parents chasing their children. They want the children to say, Mama, Daddy, I'm sorry. And uh, the sooner the better. David waited too long. And so the chastening would be really strong. If he had repented earlier, it may not have been as strong. Verse 16, um, David pleaded with God for the child. The word pleaded is not just asking, he's begging. And I've seen parents when a, a child is 
about to die or something like that. And I've seen parents weep and beg and beg God, save the life of our little child. We love her so much. And so David is praying nonstop. He's begging. Here's a lesson. James 5.13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for the person that is suffering. David was praying for the baby. Also, it says fasting. The Bible talks about prayer and fasting. And fasting is not to lose weight. That might be a side effect. But it's to spend extra time in special prayer, getting a hold of God. And we find examples of Jesus, Moses, and others. It humbles us. Sometimes we hear about fasting in sackcloth and ashes in the Bible. But Jesus warned about doing this openly so people would say, my, what a holy Christian he is. No, you'd be a Pharisee, so do it in, in secret. And it's not a kind of penance, and it's not to be done like, well, I'm keeping Lent. No, prayer and fasting can go at any time, especially for major needs. So brethren, pray. God sometimes sends us tragedies like this to get us to pray. It brings us to our knees and uh, nothing will drive us to prayer more than a tragedy that hits us or someone very close to us. It's like the story in the Bible about, let's see if I get the characters right, uh, Joab uh, called for a certain farmer out there in the country, come, and the man wouldn't come. And so Joab said to the servant, go out there and set his crops on fire. He'll come. And the man came, what are you doing setting my crops on fire? Uh, if you had come the first time, I wouldn't have done that. You see the lesson? God's beckoning us, come and pray. And if we don't, God might set fire to our crops, and do something, and then we have to go to him. Where else can we go? So David prays that the child would live, even though God through Nathan had said the child will die. How do you harmonize this? Well, on one level, it's a natural thing to do, just like Jesus in Gethsemane knew he had to take the cup, but he's still pleading, is there any other way? Take the cup away. So David is thinking, is there any other way to save the life of the little child? Why should he suffer because of me and Bathsheba? And something else. God issues two kinds of promises and threats. Some are conditional. That if you do this, then I won't punish you. Or if you do this, I will reward you. And other ones are unconditional. Perhaps David wasn't sure what kind of threat this was. Maybe he's thinking, maybe God's testing me. That if I pray hard enough, God will say, I've heard your prayers and I won't uh, take the life of the little one. Kind of like Jonah and the Ninevites. Jonah, go and tell them 40 days, Nineveh is going to fall. And he preached, they repented in sackcloth and ashes. And fasting, and guess what? God, it says God relented and not punished him. So David may have been wondering, if I pray and repent, then God may relent. Perhaps. Keep that in mind. When you go through something and you pray and you pray and you pray, God, are you hearing me? Uh, his providence may be saying, I've already made up my mind. Or he might say, just keep praying a little bit more. And if I hear that proper prayer, then I'll relent of this Tragedy. You see, there's much mystery in, in prayer. So David was an example of this. Like, you remember Paul with his thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians 12, which was probably some physical affliction. He says, I sought the Lord three times. That could either mean, 
uh, over and over and over again for a long time, or three protracted times of prayer with fasting, maybe even sackcloth. But in any case, God basically answered his prayer and said, no. God answered Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane by saying, no, I'm not going to take the cup away. But Jesus' real prayer was, thy will be done, I'll take the cup. And so why did God uh, not take the cup away from Jesus? Why didn't he take the thorn away from Paul? Um, Because he had that thorn there for a reason. And he had the cup there to Jesus for a reason. He had the baby dying for a reason. We may not know the ultimate reason, so we, what do we do? We just trust God. And we may not know the result of our prayer, so just keep praying. And David kept on praying until the baby died. Verse 17 says that the elders came, not just the servants. These would be the senior servants, uh, just like um, the church elders. They went to David in an emergency, call us up. We may come over to your house, talk on the phone, help. That's what we're here for. James 5 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And in some cases, even anoint with oil in prayer. So these elder servants tried to pick David up and encourage him and get him to eat. But David was adamant, no, I'm going to keep praying and fasting. Don't give me something to eat, I'm going to keep Now, they meant well. They were not like Satan tempting Jesus with food out in the wilderness. No, Satan meant that for evil. But these servants were saying, David, you got to eat. Here's a lesson here. They meant well. And we too should offer help to someone that's going through something. What can I do? Can I bring you food? Um, Can I run errands? Can I mow your lawn for you? Can I take you to the doctor? Offer help to someone that's going through a, a bad affliction. But a time may come that we need to look, uh, look at this and back off like these servants. And um, how can I put this? God's working with that person. God was working deep within David. And these men were wise enough to say, he needs to work this out between him and God. And um, in a way, that's what Job's servant, uh, friends should have done. Back off and say, this is between him and God. And so they only made it worse. For example, after um, a a loved one has died, um, we can help, we can comfort, but that person's going through a lonely valley just between him and God, especially if it's like a spouse, parent, child. Remember before I did my very first funeral over 30 years ago, and I did a little bit of reading and listening to messages, and I still remember the great Haddon Robinson, who was named after Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said, um, when you grieve, you go through a grief work. I've never heard that. You've heard of a prayer work where it's laboring in prayer. And he says, a grief work where you seek the Lord, you pray, even fast, you weep. And he says, it's like working it out God's way. Well, David was doing this. Um, And and David here is saying, I'm not going to eat and maybe not even sleep. It says, he laid all night on the ground and as a pastor, I've seen similar situations, not literally on the ground, but I've gone to the hospital. I've gone to uh, hospice care where uh, a loved one has been told this is terminal and the nearest of Kent keeps a vigil in the chair. You know what that means. And I can remember one woman, 
She says, I'm not going home. I'm staying with him until he dies. I'm keeping vigil. I'm praying for him and holding his hand. I'm saying, I'm here. I'm loving you to the end. And in a way, that's what David is doing. And there's, that's part of that uh, spiritual work we go through in prayer and in grief. So God was working a very deep work in David in addition to the chastening and restoring him. There are a lot of lessons here. When God restores us, it's going to cut deep and he does deep stuff in us. But be like David and don't resist. Let God do his special work in your heart. Back to the narrative, verse 18. After seven days, the baby died. Stop breathing. Heart, little heart stopped beating. And the servants knew what was what. Perhaps there was a, a woman or a mother helping the baby. That's often what happened. Maybe Bathsheba was there. We don't know. But uh, the servants find out. And they're afraid to tell David. Maybe he'll harm them. Or maybe he'll go overboard and take his own life. People have been known to go overboard with grief. They just can't handle it. Um, in such deep emotional times as this, people sometimes vent their emotions on their friends and loved ones. Some of you know just what I'm talking about at a funeral where someone is so hurt, they go up to another person and take it out on them. And that other person has nothing. I remember I did a funeral for a close relative of mine and another close relative came up to me afterwards and cursed me out. Uh, I, I, he was venting and I, I just absorbed it out of love. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I, I, I miss this person as well. And so uh, we need to be like that and absorb it in love when they're venting. And often later they'll say, I'm sorry, I was just so hurt. I didn't know what I was saying and doing. So they're afraid to tell David. But David figured it out, verse 19, from their silence. Because earlier they've been saying, David, get up and eat and get some sleep and, and, and so forth. Now they're saying, he's saying, over there whispering. Something's going on. You know, he's a king, and kings almost have a, a sixth sense of since picking up stuff. They know the score. By the way, parents know the score with their kids, especially mother's intuition, and there's also pastor's intuition. So David figured out what it is, so he calls for them, and they, talk, they tell him. And this is another important lesson. He says, is the child dead? And they said, yes, the child is dead. Um, they didn't him and haunt say, well, we think, well, you never know, he might come back. No, they, they, he asked a direct question, they gave a direct, question, a direct answer. Lesson for us is in tragedies, we need facts and information. Um, don't be afraid to ask the family or the doctor straightforwardly and directly. I still remember when my dad was dying of cancer and the doctor, bless his heart, saying, well, there's always hope, and we don't like to say, you know, for sure. And my dad said, tell me, doc, is there any known cure for where I am at this stage in cancer? Tell me, I want to know. I can take it. And the doctor says, there is no known cure, Mr. Daniel, for what you're going through now. There are experimental ones that have not been approved, but um, that's, you know, one out of 50,000 chance. But um, we need to be told and get that answers. Of course, doctors, for various reasons, like ethics and legalities, don't always say it's hopeless, but uh, sometimes they will if you ask them in the right way. Um, I still remember a story that I heard uh, 
over in Scotland and, and when I was in the hospital about, talk, I was talking to the sisters. They call them sisters. They're not just nurses and then the doctors and so forth. And I remember a, a famous preacher telling a story. Uh, Jeff, do you remember David Paulson? Very well-known charismatic, sometimes over the top, but he had an interesting story. He said there was a man from his church that was uh, in the hospital and he sensed nobody wants to tell him that it's terminal. Uh, he, he, he said, something's wrong. They're not talking to me in the right way. They're whispering over there, kind of like this here. And so he asked the doctor, uh, doctor, is it terminal? And, and the doctor wouldn't answer. And he wanted to know so that he could prepare his soul to die. So he kept asking. Everybody kept saying, oh, well, you know, don't ask me. And Finally, a scrub lady came in with a broom. And he says, could you tell me? And she says, yes, I can tell you I overheard them. Yes, you are going to die. And the man said, thank you for telling me. And they prayed together. And then Paulson went on to say, what about when Jesus said to that thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He was saying, yes, you are going to die today. He didn't hem and on and say, you know, people have been known to survive crucifixion. No, he said, you're going to die. You'll be with me, however. So you need straightforward facts. Wasn't easy for David to hear. Many of us here had to hear that bad news of a loved one has died. Remember when my sister told me that my father and my mother had died. Uh, I've heard other such news. A close friend not long ago died to COVID. As a pastor, I've often been phoned or someone shows up and says, remember the church has died. Remember when they said Richard Hollis died back in November. I've also been the ones that had to bring the bearer of sad news. It's not an easy job to tell someone this very close loved one has just died. It's not an easy thing to do. Maybe you'll have to do that. When my father died, I had already prepared because we knew he was going to go soon. So I made a long list of the names and phone numbers of everybody that needed to know that day. So for several hours I had to phone and knowing that it's going to hurt that person. I had to phone his brothers and his sisters. We had cousins, people he had worked with, people he grew up with. And so some of them, they, they started crying. I remember one guy, as soon as I told him, he cursed and then he apologized. He says, Kurt, I'm sorry. He, your father was very close to me. Not easy to pass on bad news. And these servants had to do that. And you may have to. Uh, brace yourself uh, when you suspect they're about to give me bad news. Like a doctor says, I think you need to sit down. Uh, I've got some bad news for you. So um, apply the golden rule. Be merciful to someone as you want someone to be merciful to you when it comes to sharing the bad news of death. Told you there are a lot of good lessons in this. And of course, some people will be in denial. No, 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 can't be. Uh, that's one of the first stages, but David realized this immediately. So David uh, gets up, verse 20, and he says he washed himself, changed his clothes, combed his hair, and he stopped praying for the baby. There's a time to pray, and there's a time not to pray, and there's a time to stop praying. It takes the wisdom to know when. Uh, for example, do not pray for the dead. David realized that. This is kind of an embarrassment for Catholics. It's that we can pray for the dead. They're in purgatory. Pray them out. No, 
There's no such thing as purgatory. When a person dies, they're beyond your prayers. It's a waste of time. It's presumptuous to pray for the dead. And to pray to the dead is even worse. Um, That departed is in God's hands, either in heaven or in hell. But David did the best thing of all. Look at the text. He went into the tabernacle and he worshipped. Man after God's own heart. Now you're seeing what the real David is made out of. Lesson for us is when you go through a deep tragedy that will hurt, go to God first in that secret place of communion, heart to heart with God, and then go back to church. Now I understand, and I share this with families, I said, you know, there's been a death in your family. We'll understand if you don't come to church this Sunday or even the next Sunday. Some of them come anyway. I know I did, but some of them you want to be patient, says maybe they're just not up to it yet, but David did go to the tabernacle, not to blame God, but to worship God. Good lesson for us. Be like Job. Remember, he lost all of his family except his wife, lost all these hundreds and thousands of animals. What does he do? It says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I bet he said that with tears. The hardest prayer he ever prayed, Lord, you gave. You took him away. I'm still going to praise you, Lord. It's what David's going through. So it's not just, I'm sorry, I brought this upon me and that little child, but Lord, you gave the child and you took the child away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you learned how to pray that prayer? In the midst of sorrows, he still praised God. And that was very special to God. Have you ever thought about hard prayers? that are hard to pray like that. You know, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Uh, Hard prayers. And yet, hard prayers really please God. And the angels look at that and say, look at that. That person is in pain or is in deep grief, tears, can hardly talk, and still worships God. Boy, the angels, if they applaud, this is a time for it. And of course, it pleases the Lord. Learn the secret of hard praying. Verse 20, David now goes home. Time to gradually start life up again. Remember, Haddon Robinson said, that's part of the grief work. After a period of time, you have to answer letters, go back to work. Uh, The chores have to be done. Children have to go to school and so forth. There's a time to start life up again. And it says, now he takes food. There's a time to fast and a time to... Break the fast. Breakfast. That's where the word breakfast comes from. And so now he knew the answer to to all of the prayers, and so there's no need to keep praying. And what was the answer? No, David, I'm not going to save the life of the little child. And eventually he realized that. He submitted to God. Not out of stoic resignation or apathy, but surrender to a loving Heavenly Father. And that's what we need to do too. That's a hard lesson as well. When we're in pain and in grief, afraid, we need to just simply say, Lord, I will trust in you like Jesus. Thy will be done. Not stoic resignation or apathy or, well, I guess that's just the way things are. But no, we're surrendering and trusting a loving heavenly father. David loved that little baby. But he knew his heavenly father loved the baby too and loved David. Remember that next time you go through a valley of tears, God still loves you. Oops, got the wrong page here. 
What about the baby? He's not named. Evidently, it's a boy because the Hebrew is in the, um, the masculine when it talks about him. He, him, his. And this wasn't David's first baby, but this does lead us to the question I raised at the beginning. Why do babies die? Illnesses, accidents, crib death, crime? But that's more of the question of how rather than why. I'm sure David was wondering why this baby, of course, Nathan's words would have come back to him. David, it's because of your sin. But I've comforted parents with, they said, why did God take my child and other ones live? And why so young? He didn't even grow to be a teenager, just a little baby. Why, pastor, why? How would you answer that question? You may be in a situation where it's your child and you say, Lord, why mine? Why this one? Why any baby? The answer takes several aspects or levels. It's not always easy to grasp that when it's your baby and you're overwhelmed with grief. And that's why the best thing to say to someone going through that is like, I don't completely know, but I know God is merciful. Bring them God's mercy. You be God's hands of comfort. Um, but there are different ways of answering this. Uh, but look, again, that question, why do babies die? God struck the child. God's behind all deaths. Um, it's, uh, it's, it was God chastening David, not the child, because a mother might say, what harm did my little baby do for God to do this to him? But the baby hadn't done anything. Yes, it was born in sin, but this wasn't, Chastening for the baby wasn't punishment for the baby, but for David. Um, so the baby had original sin. Now, do you know the difference between original sin and actual sin? Original sin is what we're born in, we inherited from Adam. Actual sin refers to conscious sins when we reach a certain age where we actually do a sin and we know we're doing wrong to him that knows to do wrong and does, knows to do right and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. But this baby had no actual sin. Um, but sometimes a child dies because of the sin of the parents, as in this case here. Boy, that lays a heavy burden upon parents. And it was on David here. But then the larger answer is baby, babies die just like everybody else because there's sin in humanity. From Adam and Eve on down, Romans 5 says sin came in and with sin came dead. We're all born to die. Do you realize that? The death rate is one per capita. All will die unless we live to see the second coming of Jesus. But we're all born to die. Some simply live longer after birth than others. In my book, I say we're on a death march from our mother's womb into the tomb at the end of life. And the road may be long or might be short. And of course, some babies die before birth. Um, stillbirth, miscarriage, abortion, accidents. Um, Bible addresses this. But why do people die? Sin. We're in a sinful world and the baby was in a sinful family. Next question, I'm sure you've wondered about this. What happens to dying babies? And this is one of the texts that we refer to. By the way, if you want to know more, I have a chapter in my book on Calvinism on the destiny of dying babies. I'll give you the short answer. They're elect and they're taken to heaven. Um, David knew that this little one 
um, that he would see it again. Verse 23, I will go to him, he will not come to me. He's not saying, I'm going to go to the grave and meet him in the grave. He says, that little one is going to be with God and I'm going to meet him. Um, Remember Psalm 23, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. David knew he was going to heaven. And so he says, I'm going to see this baby again. By the way, that's a great comfort to parents. If those parents are Christians to say, you're going to meet that little one one day. Um, I've read many, many books on the subject. Uh, John MacArthur has an excellent one, a small book called Safe in the Arms of God. And uh, Spurgeon had a sermon that's been printed um, uh, talking about this. Um, I'll tell you a little story. I think we got a little time on our hands tonight. Uh, I like a good story. This is a true story. Some of my stories are true, and this one is. Uh, Many years ago, um, before my book was published, it was a syllabus bound in black, and I sold and gave away hundreds all over the country. And uh, one day I had a phone call from one of the telephone counselors at Ligonier Ministries, you know, R.C. Sproul's. Ministry, and they said, are you, Dr. Curtin, speaking? Well, um, we, want, we want your advice, and maybe you could talk to someone that's phoned us, and um, we've read the chapter in your syllabus, and we, uh, I said, really? Said, oh, we all have the big black book on our desk, and if we don't know the answer, look it up in Daniel. Okay, <laughs> the book of Daniel. And they said, we're stumped. We've got a woman in New York City it's phoned up and she cannot get comfort about her dying baby. Would you mind phoning her? And I said, sure. And they said, well, there's, you need to know the rest of the story. Um, she's not married, but she's mute. She can hear, but she can't talk. She had had an accident and it severed her vocal cords. And I said, well, how am I going to talk to her on the phone? They said, well, there is this uh, thing where, uh, this was before email, by the way, where Uh, you can phone her and dial a certain number and there's a ministry that will like be the the go-between. You speak and that person then will sign it to her if she's deaf and then if the person is mute. Okay, so I did that and sure enough, there's this woman that said, okay, um, I will, um, she will, this woman on the other end named Virginia, she'll type or write something down and I'll read it to you and then back and forth. And it went fairly smoothly. But I still remember Virginia was saying, how can I get comfort about my baby? And I taught her that, you know, David got comfort when his baby died in the Bible with the cumulative of various verses, assures us that dying babies do go to heaven. And uh, she was very, very grateful to hear that. It was just like a breakthrough. Now I can sleep at night. Don't worry about my baby. I'm going to see my baby one day. And uh, not long after that, she sent me a little hand-engraved plaque, and I have it in my office. And I still remember that from Virginia. You may have to comfort someone that's lost a baby, even if it's not a Christian, a non-Christian neighbor or someone at work. Be willing to comfort them and be very gentle with them. Now, um, there are several biblical factors that enter into this question of why do babies go to heaven? Or some say, well, we don't know. And then, you know, that there are people that are even so bold as to say, well, dying babies, since they don't believe, they go to hell. That's the official Roman Catholic view and actually the official Lutheran view that says if they're not baptized, they can't make it to heaven. So they try to say, well, maybe some kind of limbo 
But uh, other ones will say, no, they go to hell because they haven't been baptized. That is cruel. and It's not only cruel, it's unbiblical. But I agree with Spurgeon and many, many others that I referred to in my book. And one of the key texts is when Jesus said of such as the kingdom of God. They were bringing the babies. These were not little five-year-olds. They were carrying the babies to Jesus and said, bring the babies here of such as the kingdom of God. But what about the question that without faith you can't make it to heaven? Some have suggested, well, they're given faith when they die. So they do end up believing. But babies as such are incapable of believing. But my bottom line answer is that God elected dying babies as a class, just like he elected the unfallen angels as a class, and he did not elect the fallen angels. He reprobated them as a class, so... God had it in his prerogative to say, now what am I going to do with dying infants? I could choose all of them, choose none of them, or choose some of them, maybe even some that are baptized. No. In his infinite wisdom, he says, I'm going to choose them all. And one writer I consulted say, this indicates the bigness of God's heart, so merciful to the, um, the most helpless people in the human race. And it's like a pyramid to the, the all the babies that die go to heaven and then you work up to you know, adolescents, teenagers, and then the elderly and then the hard-hearted and other religions. But God shows the, the greatness of his mercy for electing all the dying babies. And I would agree with that writer. And so now let me, let me throw your curveball. Jeff, a googly. You ever do cricket? You know what a googly is. Those things are hard to hit, aren't they? Just like a curveball. I'll throw this to you. Um, uh, there are no babies in heaven. They're no longer babies. <laughs> I told you it's tricky. They're no longer babies. There are no babies crawling around up there. I'm convinced that they are instantly grown up. And uh, think about this. If they're growing up and then they meet their parents, if their parents are safe, think about the happy reunion. You know, mama, <laughs> you're the little baby that died. Yes, hello, mama. That's going to be wonderful. David will meet this baby one day. He says, I will go to him. He won't return to me from the dead, but I'm going to meet him. That'll be a happy reunion. Okay, last question for tonight is, how did God bring good out of this tragedy? Several ways. All things work together for good, and we need to have the wisdom to be able to spot it. And if we can't see it, at least trust God. It says, verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba. She went through this grief and agony as well. And I'm sure she was praying when I told if she was right with God like David was. But God was dealing with her too. Um, when a baby or a child is afflicted, that's going to touch the hearts of you parents, right? I bet some of you can testify saying, oh boy, the roughest time in my life was when my daughter ran away from home. My son was in the hospital or something. So Bathsheba was going through this. And God was dealing with her sin and repentance. Now here's another lesson. This tragedy brought David and Bathsheba together even though they had sinned. He comforted her. Tragedy should pull husbands and wives together not drive them apart. Sometimes I've seen where it drives them apart. Other times it pulls them back together. Now... David and Bathsheba did get married. Remember, it says he took her as his wife. Got off to a bad start with adultery, murder, death, and all this other stuff. But God began to turn it around 
lesson, there's always hope with God. And before long, we're told that David and Bathsheba had another child named Solomon, who grew up to be the next king. Shlomo, the man of peace, the Shalom man. And he's given the nickname Jedediah. Anybody ever met someone named Jedediah? Jed for short, and which means beloved of God. And he'd be an heir. Solomon, also named Jedediah, would be the next king and be the wisest man. Isn't that interesting? Born after his brother died and his mother was Bathsheba, and yet God brought good out of the tragedy. Next, though, God severely chastened David, and that would continue in other ways. God here reminded David that he still loved him. Your son is beloved by God, and David was a man after God's own heart, and he would realize God still loves me in spite of my sin. God gives us love tokens, to borrow Samuel Rutherford's term, in rough times to remind us that there's no real tragedy for a Christian. There's just testing, chastening, unexplained providences, but always flavored with mercy. And remember that when your next tragedy, God still loves you. You know, I've said that repeatedly to these prison inmates, and they go through rough times, getting beat up and all sorts of stuff. I'll tell you some stories sometime. But I like to remind them, I said, never forget, God still loves you. And often they say, boy, that really meant a lot to me when I read that, Preacher Daniel. Uh, this was also a reminder that God didn't throw David away with the afternoon garbage. He wasn't through with David yet. He was still king. And he'd go on to write more psalms. So the gift of baby Solomon alone was proof that God brings good out of tragedy. And that's the history of the world. The world's history may look like a tragedy, especially going through the book of Revelation. has a happy ending for God's people and the glory of God. There's no tragedy for a Christian you just haven't come to the end of the, the book yet, not the end of Shakespeare's play. And uh, that's the history of the world as well. God allowed sin to enter into the world through Adam, and then through sin came death and disaster, pain, misery, crime. But God's working in history to bring a greater good out of, his all, of it all. And uh, go look up in my book the, the, the phrase, the Felix Culpa, the happy fall, how God brings good out of it. How could God bring good out of the worst sin and crime in history? The murder of Jesus. He brought the best good out of the worst sin. Think about that. God's ways are not our ways. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds far more. So there are no real tragedies for the Christian, even such a one as this. There, yes, there are afflictions, crises, emergencies, tears, pain. Yes, 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 and yes. But remember Romans 8, 28 God works through all such afflictions for our good and will eventually always bring greater good out of such time for the Christians. Um, it'll be, we end up being better than Adam before the fall. Has that ever occurred to you? Uh, not long ago, I was reading about some of the old fads from my youth. Anybody remember Super Bowl, that black thing? Boy, can that thing bounce. They said if you bounce it in a certain way, it'll come up higher than the height from which you dropped it. You see what I'm getting at? We fell in Adam, but we're exalted higher in Christ. And the same principle applies to our tragedies. Uh, uh, Kyle, maybe we'll sing that song sometimes. It will be worth it all. God pays extra dividends. Yes, he afflicts us. 
But it's worth it when we get to heaven. We'll say, it was worth more of that. Why did I ask for more of them? And, uh, but it's not always pays those dividends in this life, but definitely in the next life. We must see that by faith and like David, simply trust God even when we don't understand. Okay, conclusion. These experiences in life are meant to drive us to God. Even an unbeliever should drive them to God. Usually doesn't, but sometimes it does. Remember the Philippian jailer. Would he have really said, what shall I do to be saved if it hadn't been for the earthquake? Probably not. Pray for God to send an earthquake to your unsaved friends and relatives. Such as bad health, broken harm, broken homes, financial troubles. Just might drive them to God. They need God. And then God will use these sort of circumstances for your good like David. And that's our lesson for tonight. Father, thank you for this amazing story of David, Bathsheba, and the little baby that you gave and took away within just seven days. Thank you for the lessons we've looked at tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.